Amen. You guys grab a seat. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate y'all leading us every week. Uh, so Connor ranges out. So we got, um, we got an oldie but a goodie back this week. We got Garrett with us. He's not listening to me, but Garrett was back. Um, I appreciate him coming. Garrett's a man. Uh, it's fun. Once you get into college, like, like you, something switches in your head, and then like I get to be like adult friends with you instead of like adult and teenager friends. We get to be like adult friends. So me and Garrett, like we go to weird restaurants and eat sandwiches and stuff. It's fun. So um, look forward to going to college because I buy you food a lot. Because uh, right now you're so busy doing like high school or whatever you do there. Um, but once you get into college, it's pretty legit. Um, so if you got your little version appy thing, click live, click senior high greenhouse. It'll help you. Um, so, uh, one of the, one of my favorite things to do is when, as you walk up to you guys, when you're sitting in a little group, so you're sitting at picnic tables with your earphones in or something and I pop your earphone out of your head and, um, I just, I just start talking. And normally I, I, I try to, I try to get you to tell me how life's going. So I, I usually start with something, um, pretty innocuous, uh, like how's life. And sometimes people are like, good. No, it's not. Like, it's never just good. I mean, sometimes life is great, sometimes it's incredible, and sometimes it's horrible, um, but it's rarely just good, you know? And then sometimes I ask people how life is going. Um, sometimes I'll shoot you a text or something and say, hey, man, I hadn't seen you in a few weeks or whatever. How, how's life? And then I'll get a reply back that's like, can we meet right now? Like, there's all this, like, urgency. Like, somebody finally, like, wanted to know what was going on in your little world, and, and so you just, like, want to just explode. And so sometimes I'll get in these conversations where you'll start telling me how life actually is going, and it's rarely great. Usually it's incredibly stressful. Is that where you, any, anybody with me right now? Is this time of the year you full out stressed? I mean, our, our, our juniors, man, there's not a lot of them here tonight. Um, ACT is hard, dude. I remember the first time I took the ACT. It was on a Saturday morning. Um, I stayed up way too late because I was stupid, and... Um, then we didn't have time to, uh, we woke up late, so I was spending the night at a friend's house for the night of the ACT. That's not a good plan. Um, stayed up really late, woke up too late to get breakfast, stopped at Arby's for breakfast. That's disgusting. Um, there was a Cinnabon in that Arby's, which is not a real Cinnabon. It's like old Cinnabon, like they shipped from the real Cinnabon, and it's nasty. Um, so I ate a nasty Cinnabon on the way to the ACT session, um, so that was good. And had a sugar crash about halfway through the math portion. Uh, and almost fell asleep, maybe fell asleep, maybe, mom, um, just a little bit in the math section of the ACT, and it just it didn't go well. And then afterwards I get out, and I, I remember this, this overwhelming sense of stress, because now, now I've, I've bombed the ACT, I think, in my head, and um, now like, all this other stuff's in play. Like if I get a bad grade on the ACT, that means that my whole like, future's in peril, right? Because scholarships are com- almost completely dependent on our ACT score, Right? If you don't get like a 32 at ACT, then, then you're not going to get a full ride. If you don't get a 27 on ACT, then you're not going to probably get a scholarship, maybe at all. If you get like a 19, you might not get in in the first place. What's, do anybody know what Auburn's ACT bottom limit is right now? 20? Higher than a lot of people get. And then, and then, so you're like, a, you're a junior in high school and you're like, oh my goodness, yesterday the biggest thing that I had to worry about was like if my car had gas in it and now all of a sudden, like I'm going to have to work at Kroger the rest of my life and bag groceries because I, I slept in and ate a Cinnabon before the ACT and my life's over. 
Like, you have all these, like, future projects. Some of you don't. I mean, if you're a ninth grader, dude, the future is, like, so it doesn't matter, right? But when you get to be a junior or a senior in high school, and you're about to move away from your family, and, and dude, it gets intense real quick. Like, how do I, mom, how do I, like, work a bank account? Like, I know when I put the card through the thing, magic happens, but, like, is there, like, a login or something I need to know? Sometimes, some of you, man, stress comes in a different direction. It comes from, um, it just comes from worry and, and uneasiness and, and fear about a variety of different things. Sometimes it's not the future. But, they, but I think a lot of you live with this overwhelming sense of anxiety. And I think a lot of you live with this consuming worry and unease and fear. We're going to abbreviate that. We're going to call that woof because I think that's fun. All right? So we're going we're to talk about woof. And I think you have woof in a lot of things. So some of your families are super jacked up. And, and so when, when you come home from school... Schools, you're like your release point where everything's kind of okay there because there's structure and safety and like cops and stuff and nothing, nothing that crazy is going to go down at school. But when you get home, that's a different story. And when you walk into that door, woof, like washes over you. For some of you, you, you walked in here tonight and your family's falling apart all around you and you can't do a thing about it. And you feel very worried and uneasy and fearful about the future of what's going on in your family. And that's just the reality that you live in. And in a lot of ways, it consumes you and holds you back and just steals a little bit of freedom from you. I think others of you um, have a lot of uh, that woof stuff about how you look and how you're perceived by people. Um, I don't spend hardly any time in the, in the mirror in the morning, um, but I hear from you guys and, and how, how uh, important it is how you look to you. And you worry about it and... Um, because it, it, in, a lot of, in a lot of ways, it depends, it, it determines how you're going to be accepted, right? And so if you don't have a certain look, and if you don't live up to a certain standard, then there's people that aren't going to um, accept you. Some, I, was on, I tweeted this earlier, but I was, I was at a Chick-fil-A, and I guess it was a Spartan kid, I don't know, because um, they weren't in school when they were tiny, so probably a Spartan kid. Anyway, a little girl uh, had on a t-shirt um, that said, uh, you can't sit with us. I want to punch her in the mouth right there in Chick-fil-A, you know? I'm like, I'm going to sit by you. I'm going to sit by you and eat. I'm, I'm a 29-year-old man. I'm going to sit by you and eat my sandwich. Watch this, sweetheart. Tell me I can't sit by you. I ain't scared no more. What? But some of you, that's, that's like your reality, man. You walk up to a certain group of people at your school, and you're like, dude, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to put myself out there and try to, like, connect. And they're like, ah, and they eat, try to eat you alive. It's scary, man. And it's It's stressful. Some of you try, try so hard to be um, smart enough uh, to fit in with a certain group. And you've got to like, be brilliant to hang out with people you want to hang out with. And other people, you've just got to be in, just ridiculously funny all the time to maintain a relationship. And it's, it's hard being that funny all the time. And it wears you out. Some of you have to have this performance that you've got to keep up at all times in your social life. And it's ridiculously stressful. You worry about whether you're going to be able to maintain relationships with friends. You worry about the relationships you have with your family and the structure there. You worry about the future, man. You worry about time. You worry about how you're going to get your grades in and how you're not going to like fail out of history or whatever it is you're bad at. I was hanging out with one of our college students today, and uh, they were just freaking out about some quiz that was coming up. Just meltdown mode. And as I talk to you, some, of you, some of you guys sometimes, like, hey, tell me how I can pray for you. I've got a test that I'm going to fail. I don't know how to pray for you about that. I'm like, well, you're going to fail. But it's, it, 
I, I see like the way that that thing, that stuff wraps around you. Whether it's relationships with family, whether it's relationships with friends, whether it's grades or school or social stuff, dude, I don't know. But I know, I know you've got some woof, right? Show of hands, anybody got some woof? Yeah, I do too. And it doesn't get any easier, man. You just go to college and you have bigger problems and you get out of college and you get married and you have kids and a job and a mortgage and it just piles on and piles on. And if we approach life in that, in that way that we're just going to hold on to all the stress and all this worry and all this uneasiness and all this fear and just shoulder all of that by ourselves, um, we're never going to get to experience the freedom that Christ intended us to have. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, Jesus says something beautiful. It's ridiculously beautiful. Luke 12, 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, not about your body, or, or what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. See, as Jesus calls us not to be anxious, not to live in worry and unease and fear. He's, 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 in the next couple of verses as we look, he's promising that, that God is going to take care of us not always in the way that we imagine him or may, might want him to, but God is going to provide. He's going to provide exactly what we need. Not what we always want, but what we need. And he starts supporting it with evidence. He starts backing it up. So beginning, we, we read 22 and, uh, and 23. So in, in 24 through 31, Jesus begins to start giving evidence about why we can have freedom from this level of anxiety and this worry and all this stuff, how we can, how we can be free from that. And it really, it's, it really is, is a theological issue. It's not a, it's not a practical like, application sort of thing. It's a theological issue. It depends on how you view God. If you're going to be f- free from all that stuff and released from all that stuff, it's completely dependent on how you view God. So in these verses... Jesus starts explaining who God is and how he functions and giving us examples of the way God works in the world, stuff that we all know and that we can all see, very clear evidence of the way that God provides, the way that God meets even those basic needs. He paints a picture of God as Father. God as Father. All right, so in 24, he starts talking about food. He said, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor they reap nor they uh, have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. So he's talking about birds, right? There's these birds. Bo- birds don't have fields. They don't have grocery stores. They don't have, like, shopping carts or whatever, and they, like, go gather up things and swipe their ATM card. There, there's no way that, that birds can provide for their own needs. They don't have a job. They can't, like, work at Dairy Queen or whatever. They're just completely dependent upon God for their survival. Forgot to provide what they need to, to get through the day. So they neither sow nor they reap. They don't have storehouses. They don't have barns, and yet God feeds them. And then it says this, oh, how much more val- oh of how much more value are you than the birds? So he's making this argument from, greater, from, from lesser to greater. So if God cares about birds, then surely he cares about us. Because God's very clear in Scripture that he cares a whole lot more about us than birds. <laughs> cares about birds, but just cares about you a lot more than birds. So if he's going to feed birds, he's going to feed you. If he's going to meet birds' most basic needs without them doing a thing about it, he's going to meet our most basic needs without us doing a thing about it. He's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of you. So he gives this illustration about ravens and food. He talks about time next in 25. 
He says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So by you worrying about anything, can you really change it? Like his example, man, if, if, if you're worrying about, man, trying to just add one more hour to the day, if I had just one more hour to study, man, if I, ah, oh, that'd be so awesome if I could just stay for one more hour. Are you going to get that hour? Is that day going to be 25 hours long? No. You can worry about it all you want to. You can whine about it and fuss about it and tweet about it. And I don't care what you do about it. It's not going to happen. You're sure going to have 24 hours. You worrying and fretting and freaking out over something is not going to change the amount of time you've got. You can't change it. So he says, if then you're not able to do a, such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest of it? Jesus points out that worry is basically wasted energy. But you can't do a lot about most of the things that you worry about. You're not in control of those situations. Some of them you are. Some of them are your, your own making, but a lot of them you can't. So Jesus just poses a question, man, if, if, if you can't do anything about it, then why worry about it in the first place? In 27, he starts talking about, he gives an example of, of clothing, and this is a little weird one. He says, consider the lilies. Those are the flowers, right? Just so we're all clear. Lilies are flowers. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Spin is uh, making yarn. They don't, or yarn, right? I guess it's not yarn. Fabric, I guess. They don't make fabric. Lilies don't make fabric. They're not Rumpelstiltskin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's talking about grass being clothed, right? And so it's, what he's saying is that the, beauty that the beauty that shows up in nature, like I've got some bulbs planted in my front yard that Karen gave us last year, and they're, and they're popping up, man, and they're, they're incredible. They're just, I don't really understand these things. Like Karen gave me these things that look like sweet potatoes, and I put them in the dirt, and then something crazy happens. Just on its own. I didn't worry about it. I kind of forgot they were there, honestly. And they just pop out and like, Flowers are going crazy. It looks like fireworks out in my front yard. It's just awesome. And it's saying, that, hey, man, Solomon and all of his money and all of his wealth couldn't do something that gorgeous. He's like, God just kind of handles it. It just sort of happens. He just takes care of it. He's saying, if, if God makes sure that even the grasses uh, and the, the fields are, are clothed in beauty, then he's probably going to take care of you too. This argument from lesser to greater, that if God takes care of the little things, he's going to take care of the big things because God is father of all of this, right? If God is the God who spoke all of this into, into existence, if he's the, the creator, the, the father of all of it, and he sustains the smallest things that you don't worry about. You don't, you don't worry about if it's gonna, if it's gonna, well, sometimes you worry about if it's gonna rain, but not really, right? It's gonna rain eventually. You don't worry about if, man, if, they lift, if the bulbs are going to come out in my front yard. This is going to happen. God's going to take care of it. I don't worry about if the birds are going to eat because God's going to handle that. I just don't even think about that stuff. But I do think very, very hard about how I'm going to take care of me. Because sometimes if I'm honest, um, it's one thing to just assume that God's going to take care of the little things. And it's a completely different thing to trust him in the large things. Yeah, I mean... I cognitively know that God is the father of all things, that he's going to take care of me. The way he takes care of the smallest details in our world. But when it comes to really, really big things in my life, um, I'm much more comfortable, for some reason, trusting myself instead of him. So when it comes to big things about 
um, having kids or, you know, where I'm going to live or when we were coming, we're deciding if we were going to come to Mount Zion in the first place, if we were going to move halfway across the country to come be with you guys. When we're working on all that stuff, my natural inclination is to trust myself rather than trust God. Because I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm planning. And and God's a big God. And sometimes I don't really know the direction he's going. And if I trust him and his judgment and his leadership in my life, then that might mean I get led somewhere I don't necessarily want to go. So we end up trusting ourselves rather than our Heavenly Father. And then worry sets in. I mean, if you trust God that he's going to give you relationships, he's going to give you opportunities to invest in people, he's going to give you um, exactly what it is that you need. When you go to school and, and, and... the way that you're going to function socially at school, that God's going to work it out. It may not be exactly the way you want it. It might, might be the friend group you want it, but he's going to give you some people to have a connection with. If you trust that, you don't have to worry about it. But if you're trusting yourself and your ability and your coolness and your funniness and you having the right clothes and you having the coolest, longest-looking hair in the world, then, then it's up to you then. It has nothing to do with God. And then the trust of God gets placed on you and then worry sets in because you know that you fail. You know that no matter how hard you try at some things sometimes, then it falls flat. That when you're trying to get in with the right group of people, then it just ain't going to work sometimes. And maybe for some of you that come from those jacked up families, you know that no matter how much effort that you pour in or how hard you try to fix things, that you just can't do anything about that. So worry sets in. If you're trusting in your ability or maybe even in your parents' ability to fix what's been broken, then it may not happen. But trusting in God's, um, God's will and God's perfect plan is freeing in that regard. It may not work out things the way that you want them to, but you can trust that he's in control. You can trust that he's going to take care of things in his own way, in his own timing. It may not be yours. Things may not get fixed. God can't force anybody to do anything, right? He can't force parents to get back together. He can't force people to like you. He can't force any. He's not going to do that. But he's going to take care of you in his own way, in his own timing. So Jesus gives us these four examples, these four chunks of Scripture. Um, I think I didn't even read the last one. 29, it says, uh, And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations and all the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. God knows what you need. From the most basic to the most profound, God knows what you need. He's a good Father. It says in 31, instead of seeking after all the things and worrying about all the stuff and, and trying to put your world together in the way that you want to put it together, it says instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Jesus gives us this promise, man, that if we're chasing after God with everything we've got, allowing God to meet our needs, then it's going to work out. You have no idea how. It may not be anything that you would have wanted at the outset. But what he promises is that in seeking him, and being found in his kingdom, being part of, a part of God's work here on this earth and for eternity, you're going to find purpose and you're going to find fulfillment beyond what you, what you would have ever found on your own. He's a good father. And if you're chasing after him, he's going he's to take care of you. Because of who God is, we can be free from worry, we can be free from uneasiness, and we can be free from, free, free from fear. 
What do people do when they're fearless? When, have you ever met anybody that you considered to be fearless? What kind of things were they involved in? Sometimes you find like reckless, uh, reckless, fearless people, right? I think skateboarders fall into this category. Anybody that skateboards, you're nuts, okay, bro? Like, probably need to get you like a brain x-ray or whatever and make sure your connections are wired up right because that's, dude, you're on a board with wheels on it and you're gonna bust your face about every 30 seconds, I feel like. You're gonna break an arm in half. Like, it's gonna be, you're gonna end up on YouTube on a fail video. I'm gonna laugh at you along with 22, other, 22 million other people. It's gonna be great. They're fearless, but they just don't care or something. I don't get it. I like, I like watching parkour videos, right? What are these jokers thinking? Like, you're not Batman, okay? Like, you don't have a wingsuit strapped onto you. If you don't make it off that wall into that other building, you're going to die, bro. Like, is the GoPro video worth it? Like, it's not. Like, what happens if, man, if you watch parkour fail videos, I get one clip into those things and turn it off. I don't have a stomach for it. Those dudes, like, busting their heads on top of concrete walls and junk. Like, it's horrible. Fearless. You're an idiot, but you're fearless, so that's a thing, I guess. Have you ever met anybody who was fearless because they were chasing after God so recklessly? What does that look like? What does fearlessly chasing after your heavenly father look like? When you're not held back by social junk at your school. We're not fearful about your future because you know that God's going to put you right where you need to be. What is, what is recklessly chasing after God look like? Because there's, there's recklessness here, like when I tell Jake Russell to jump, and he's like, now? <laughs> yeah, trust these bunch of jokers to just hold you up there in the air, and he's just like, okay, here. <laughs> right? And then other people are like scrambling on stage to do it too, and there's this like, rec- oh, okay, <laughs> it's like this reckless abandon with their selves because they're trusting you to take care of them. So for me as a believer, if I'm trusting that God's going to sustain me, my most basic of needs, if I'm trusting that no matter how, how hardcore I put myself out there, in his name and his purpose, under his will, as a part of his kingdom, then, and he's going, to, he's going to catch me. And what does that look like? I had friends in, uh, in college, I had some weird friends in college. Um, that's another story. Uh, anyway, I'm not gonna go that direction. I had some weird friends in college who were, who were Christians, but somehow like mixed up recklessly following God with just being idiots, right? And, and they tried to like mix the two together. Like um, if they're going to go climb something real tall, then they'd like pray about it beforehand. Hey, God, I know I'm going to go illegally break into this giant thing and like telephone pole thing and climb it, but I'm going to pray about it first. So God, you just keep me safe because I'm a Christian and it's going to be awesome. And God's like, no, <laughs> nah, no, I'm not doing that. You're going to drop. It's going to be fine. It's your fault. You're stupid. Right. But but what, is that, what would that release you to be? Like if, if you were just chasing after God with everything you had, you had no fear about him not catching you. You just completely trusted that he was going to take care of you no matter how hard you put yourself out there. What would that lead you into? Think about it. If you didn't care what anybody thought anymore, 
What would you be capable of? If you, were, if you were not scared of rejection anymore at your school, would you be able to speak up more about your faith? I think so. If you weren't... <laughs> if you weren't... If you weren't afraid of messing up your future career path, would that change your college choice? If you, weren't, if you weren't scared of having to provide a, a big house and a big car and a big engagement ring for a girlfriend at one day, if you weren't worried about all the finances of all that stuff, would you honestly be pursuing the career path that you have in your head right now? If you didn't care about the money, if money didn't matter, would you be doing what you think that you're going to do in college? Would you really want to be an engineer if... if if God was going to take care of you, the money didn't matter, and you're just going to do your thing, is, is chasing after God with reckless abandon doing your career path that you've chosen? Maybe. Maybe not. If you're chasing after God with reckless abandon, is the greatest thing you can do with your summer coming up, hanging out by pools and putting Instagramming shots of your legs with sandals on or, you know, Wiener legs, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? I love those. I love those. Is that the best thing you can do with your summer, man? If I'm, if I'm diving out on God's plan and God's provision, is that the best I'm going to do this summer? Or am I going to do some weird junk and go hang out in Siberia for a summer? Smack the middle of high school. Hang out with some little Siberian kids wouldn't do whatever they do. Bug nets and junk. I don't know. Much of our college students, man, they give up their summers and go do summer mission stuff. Where they just say, hey, you know, I, I know that I'm not going to be able to take classes this summer, and my graduation date might be pushed back a little bit, which means my career prospects might be kind of weirded out, but I'm going to recklessly pursue what God has for me, and that means I'm going to go on mission for an entire summer. Okay. Then you can do that. If you trust that God's going to take care of you, then you can actually follow him in that. But God's not going to call every one of you to do summer missions. He's not going to call every one of you to do Siberia. He's not going to call you to do anything that he might call everybody else to do, but he's going to call you to do something. And unless you can trust him enough to take care of you in that moment, you're not going to be able to follow through. What are y'all looking at? That, that's real bright. Uh, glad y'all are here. You got spotlighted. It's weird. Okay. If you're, if, you're, if you're able to trust God with that, trust God that fully, I think it's going to take you a different direction than what you're heading right now. I know it does for me. I know sometimes for me, man, um, you know, I have, a, I have a job and I have a family and I have bills and I have things. And sometimes I get very, very anxious and very worried. And I get very uh, wolfish, Right? And in those moments, I have to catch myself and be like, hey, who am I trusting in right now? Right now in this situation where I've got all this anxiety, I've got all this pressure on me, who am I trusting in? And every time when I feel like that, I'm not trusting in God. I'm always trusting in myself. In those moments, I've, I've, I've moved away from my understanding of God as Father the one who provides and takes care of me, the one who created me, knitted me together, the one who sent his son here to die for me, who loves me that much. 
The one who knows all, the one who can do anything, the one who has infinite strength and infinite wisdom, the one who has a plan, the one who saved me. I'm mistrusting him and trusting in my tiny little abilities, my tiny, like, sissy little strength, whatever I'm bringing to the table. I'm going to tell you, what I bring to the table is not enough. If I had to trust in myself every day of the world, I don't know how I would get through But I trust in one who is far greater than I, who's able to provide for my most basic and my most profound needs. And when I'm trusting in him, when I'm chasing after him in that trust, I get to live with an abandon that I could never achieve on my own. I don't have to be afraid. And you don't either. Are you chasing after God with your whole heart? Are you trusting him as father in the situations that's going on? You you know what you're stressed out about. In those situations, are you trusting God as father? Father of the world, father of your life. Are you trusting him or not? I I, I believe that in every one of the situations, man, that, that you've forgotten that God's the one who provides. There's some of you, man, that there may not be something that you're really like mistrusting God in, but you're you're just kind of neutralish, you know? You kind of have this loose understanding of God as Father, and you're kind of trusting you, kind of trusting Him. I just want you to imagine for yourself how, how life would be if you were chasing after Him with reckless freedom, free from whatever else constrains you, recklessly pursuing God. That's exciting, dude. That's not boring, that's not stressful, that's just incredible. And that's what God has hoped for you. And I hope that for you. I hope that somehow deep inside of you, you find it in your heart to trust God enough to live recklessly in his name. That's what I'm inviting you to do. So at the worst time of the year for stress, when everything's kind of crashing down on you at the end of the school year and exams are coming and whatever's coming and social stuff gets weird, trust him. He provides. He's able to overcome Sin and death and any other little problem that comes in the way too. Trust him. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes with me just for a minute. Um, Dude, if you're a Christian in the room, um, I just want you to spend just a couple of seconds just asking God to help you trust him. Maybe, maybe, Maybe even like line out a couple of situations where you're not and saying, God, I'm in, in this thing, I'm going to trust you. Help me to trust you. Help me to live with abandon in this area. You just, you stop listening to me. You just start talking. Now, for those of you in the the room who aren't Christians, um, I want you to hear that by the authority of God's word, God can be trusted. I know that you might come from a spot where trust is hard for you and comes very, very slowly. I want you to know that God's the God of the universe who is patient enough to wait until you trust him. But I can tell you that in my life, whatever that's worth, that I've seen him time and time again prove himself to be trustworthy. So if that's you, man, and and you don't have a relationship with him, I would encourage you to honestly evaluate the validity of this faith. God sent his son here to die for you, 
to, to erase all your mistakes, to make you clean before him because he wanted to have a relationship. He wanted to be your perfect father. And he's ready and waiting for you to pursue that relationship and enter into it. It's the best decision I've ever made. Anyone else in this room would tell you the same. If you want to talk about that, um, after Greenhouse, I go hang out in the Chapel Commons and drink coffee. Uh, I'd love to talk with you. So, man, if you want to have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to trust him, come talk. You can also talk to me anything else, too, but that'd be fun. Father, um, I'm so thankful for all these students in this room. Each one of them means so much to me. I love, I love getting to spend time with them. I love getting to see them uh, move through this process that we call high school. Uh, I love getting to see them grow and mature. But it deeply hurts me to see them struggle. So many times when I, when I come up to them and I ask about life, it's a struggle. And there's no peace. There's no hope in them. It's, it's a lot of fear and a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety. So God, I pray for those um, in those situations where it's full of anxiety and worry and fear. God, that you would, um, you would help them to trust you. That you would remove the burden um, of worry from their shoulders. That they would trust you enough to allow you to be in control, to allow you to direct their paths so that they could follow you with that reckless abandon. Send your sons in your prayer. Amen. All right. Love you guys. See you later. Good night.